Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Well, guys, we have some exciting news for you from Vortex about their brand new eyewear, their Banshee and Jackal sunglasses. Me and Andrew have had these for a few weeks now, right before the release, and we've been extremely impressed. They're awesome glasses, guys. And listen, if you're needing some new sunglasses, not only do they have the VIP warranty, but they're tough as crap, guys. Uh, Scratch-resistant eyewear, uh, it's extremely important. And also, they have safety features as well. So when you're out shooting at the range, again, these are rated glasses, so you are going to be more than protected when you're at the range. But they also look fantastic when you're out around town. So right now, Vortex has some special pricing on their website, which is vortexoptics.com for the new eyewear. But also, if you use the code SOUTHERN20, you get to save even more on this special pricing for right now at vortexoptics.com. Again, check out the new eyewear from vortexoptics.com and use the promo code SOUTHERN20 to save on their brand new eyewear. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. Coming at you this first week of October. That means it's deer season. Pretty much everywhere in our listening group, we're getting very close to it. Uh, this week on the show, we're talking about hunting this very time of year with Mr. Hunter Hogan. Hunter, how are you doing? Good. How are you, man? 
Oh, I'm doing great. How are you doing over there, Ginger Bow Hunter? <laughs> doing well, doing super well. I uh, just got back from Montana and uh, getting ready to head out to Georgia here. Actually, by the time this episode comes out, we'll be in Georgia. Yep. So, um, super excited about this conversation, Hunter. Uh, I've been following along with you for a couple years now through social media. Uh, and it always seems like, dude, when September rolls around, there's deer dying, uh, you know, from you and, and your group of guys. Um, so I'm super excited to kind of dive into this conversation. But before we get into a lot of the early season talk and how to make September and October, um, you know, the best it can be for that time of year, uh, I want to learn a little bit more about you and give our listeners an idea of kind of what your experience level is especially when we're talking about hunting public land. But Hunter, can you give us a little lowdown? Like, Where in the uh, the country are you from and your experience kind of getting into public land hunting specifically? Yeah, man. Uh, I'm from southwest Missouri. I um, was born and raised there, and I've lived in Missouri my whole life. Kind of <clears throat> grew up bow hunting uh, when I was four, five, six years old. My dad would carry me up the tree with him, and I'd sit sit between his legs in the platform and watch him watch deer and watch him kill and hunt and then uh you know kind of grew up in it and learned from him he's a big buck slayer for sure and uh gets it done every year multiple times a year and so i gotta learn a lot of tips from him and then uh, as far as the public land side we had a we had a small farm that we're blessed enough to um own and hunt it was like 80 acres um, but you know, I have a younger sister and my mom hunts and, you know, only 80 acres only go so far through the season. And so I kind of expanded out and started hitting some public land when I was a kid, um, went to college. We had a campus hunt on our college where the students were allowed to, to hunt on campus. Um, I was a freshman and the junior seniors got like first choice of where to set their stands. A lot of people hunting, a lot of people in the woods, a lot of people just using the um, campus as recreational, um, you know, and certain boundaries of areas you could hunt, areas you couldn't hunt, had to shoot from a tree, had to pass a shooting test. So it kind of like got me started into understanding like all the regulations of different areas to hunt. And uh, that was my first time like hunting around people, hunting like a high pressure situation. Um, I got last choice as to where I put my tree stand and in three days was able to tag out of my first Pope and young buck. And I was ecstatic about that. I mean, that's kind of what got me hooked. And so, uh, you know, a few years later, I started investing more time in the public land. I really enjoy watching velvet bucks over the summer, watching bachelor groups, studying deer. I mean, People like to go out and drink with their friends or do whatever. I like to go out and sit in a high stand and watch deer over the summer. So that's just kind of my gig. Um, and you learn a lot about a lot about deer, a lot about their personalities, um, what different bucks do, what different bucks like. And uh, it's kind of been addicting on that. And so uh, I've tried to hunt private land, but a lot of, if you get into the good areas of any state, you know, it it's all leased up and all permission and it's a pretty popular deal now. And so I've tried really hard to get, gain permission to some spots and I have got permission to a few spots, but you know, then you're not allowed to, sometimes you're not allowed to do food plots or everything that you want to do there. And so I've kind of resorted to public land. And, um, at this point I'm, I'm kind of addicted to the, the competitiveness, you know, the, 
the uh my missouri buck that i shot this year was 150 yards off a parking lot and we had four crossbow hunters walk underneath us and then killed this you know mature buck right there um under people's nose so it's kind of it's kind of fun to to do that and study how deer work around people and um so that's kind of how i got started in the public land and why i'm still on public land you know yeah and see that's super interesting especially when we talk to a guy like you which is like our age you know we're all in our mid-20s here and you know majority of the people that we interview on the podcast like i mentioned to you before we started recording you know normally have 10 15 20 years of experience you know beyond us and it's interesting when you find a guy like yourself that's you know our age is really kind of putting things together you know you're having success and you're really on the fast track of learning how to become more successful not only in your home state but also hunting other states as well which we're going to get into here because currently you're scouting two separate states right now getting ready for another hunt uh on public land it kind of it's interesting how you're putting things together and we're going to discuss that in this podcast um i, I do want to kind of you know jump into um just what are some been the, some of those learning curves for you early on hunting public land and putting stuff together? Because again, you haven't been doing this for relatively super long. It's not like you've been doing this for 10, 15, 20 years. So what has been some of those things that you've learned, especially when it comes to having success in early season? You know, uh, Missouri opens in, in September. A lot of the other states open October 1st. What has helped you kind of put things together to have success early on compared to, you know, most guys are thinking, I'm just going to wait until November rolls around before I really hit the woods hard. Yeah, man. Uh, I actually, I actually think that November is, is way harder to hunt public land. Um, as far as an area that's going to produce big bucks, because regardless of how good of a gym you find, if there's big bucks on public land, people at least local know about it. Um, the word spreads around people don't not talk about it you know and so uh you're gonna deal with with co competition if you're wanting to hunt you know big deer on public and so um the best way to to work around that for me has been get in there the first week of season or the first month of season and uh you know obviously study the deer over the summer figure out what the deer are doing um and try to find bucks before everything is like six seven foot tall in missouri you know we've got crp that gets really tall corn that gets really tall beans that get really tall brush that gets really thick so you get in there in like march april may uh, before everything's too tall it's a lot easier to find bachelor groups of bucks um, find them located study them over the summer and then uh you know you throw the pressure factor in there there's there's still a lot of people that hunt opener, but not like November, you know, November's when everybody wants to go rut hunt and everybody thinks they've got a chance because bucks can be anywhere, which is true to an extent. But whenever the, the land gets that much pressure on it, deer get pushed out. And so, um, if I can find them in, in, you know, September or October, when season's first opening and those deer are still comfortable on that property and maybe they're working around people a little bit, but they're still, they're still there. And the deer are harder to hunt. Don't get me wrong. Like obviously pre-rut hunting over scrapes and rut when they're, when they're going through funnels like that, that's the time to be hunting. But, uh, you know, as far as pressure goes, that's kind of the number one factor for me on hunting public land is, is dealing around pressure around people and uh the bucks have to be on the property in order for me to hunt them so that's a that's the time that they're 
most consistently on that property. So when it comes to you looking at these bachelor groups all summer and kind of sticking around with them until this time of year, is that something where you're locating a bachelor group and you're kind of transitioning with that group and you're trying to keep track of them as they shift in the fall? Because I'm assuming they're going through a shift right now with shedding velvet, oaks are starting to drop, a lot of big changes. So are you having to kind of like shadow them or, or relocate them this time of year? Yeah, for sure. Uh, if You know, when you're hunting early September um, or even the first three weeks of September, you can you can a lot of times catch big bucks still in a summer pattern. So you can follow the bachelor groups over the summer. Sometimes they're still, um, in groups of two or three bucks, you know, when they shed their velvet, they kind of go a little more nocturnal, a little more towards like a red moon phase instead of just daylighting every day, like they do over the summer. Um, they may have a little shift in, in bedding or food and stuff, but you can still find them in a summer pattern, which is really helpful because they're doing what you've, watched them do for months and you know exactly what you need to do accordingly you know um and then like you said we're approaching the beginning of october so this is a tricky time like uh just some factors i'm dealing with right now they're harvesting beans i've still got some soybeans that are green that bucks are bedding in um some that are yellow which when when they're yellow they release like a toxin that deer don't really like the taste of and so you usually don't find any deer on yellow beans. Um, and then you've got dry beans that they're going back to feed on. You've got corn that's dried out that they're staying in and feeding on. White, white oaks are dropping acorns. They could be shipped into there. And not to mention the bucks are kind of splitting up from that two or three pack that they've been in over September. And so like all the shifting that happens into September to October is, is kind of tricky to keep up with, but you just have to study where you're at and what the leading factor is for that. So if I can, if I can beat them to that phase, if I can get them killed before they start switching up on everything, um, when all the soybeans are still green and all the bucks are still together and they're, you know, on their summer pattern, that's when I really like to take advantage of knowing exactly where they are. So what are you focusing on if you've been watching them all year and it's time for you to, you know, move in there and kill them? What are you making your move on specifically? You know, what are you looking for throughout the summer, which, you know, obviously like the time for summer scouting is past, but just out of curiosity with your tactics, what are you looking for in the summer where you're like, man, when it gets to be like that second or third week of September, I, I think I can get in here and, and put an arrow in one of these. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so I spend my whole summer, um, I mean, from ground one, it, it kind of depends on if I know the property or don't know the property. So, I spend the winter after season studying the property, uh, figuring out the layout of, of like the land funnels, like if, is there water or, or boundaries that are pushing them into certain areas? Um, kind of those factors as far as um, that. And then, you know, over the summer, figuring out what's planted and what, whether there's soybeans, corn, alfalfa, uh, no crops, acorns, whatever and then whenever it comes to summer i spend all my time like glassing uh from high points so whether that's on top of my truck i stand on the roof of my truck a lot glass them in the beans um soybeans seem to be a really good factor over the summer um you know i'll i'll climb way higher than i should in a tree and and glass from up high in a tree or any sort of high spot 
that I can glass these deer and really study them and figure out what they're doing. It's kind of what I focus on over the summer. And then, you know, when you study these deer, it, it's one thing to have trail cameras out. You know, you could just set trail cameras and, and see when they pass that, but it could be so misleading on, on that information. Whereas if I can study a buck for even 15 minutes, one night in the summer, um, the, the main buck that I was after in Missouri this year that I didn't end up killing and my buddy Jeff is hunting right now. I saw him once over the summer in the middle of this wide open bean field and got some great footage of him and got to study him for 30 minutes. And that's, I, I went back and looked for him time and time and time again after that, never laid eyes on him, but I knew he was staying in that area and, you know, with the map study and, and seeing what other mature bucks were bedding in and feeding on and stuff, we were able to actually pattern that deer. And Jeff was like 30 yards from him just the other night. And that was months ago whenever I saw that deer. I mean, being able to watch their body language, watch what they do, where they go, where they come from, is just so much more productive than just a trail camera picture. Um, that could be, you know, a trail camera picture could be them spooked from a coyote, you know and just ran past your camera. I mean, there's like so many factors that you can just watch whenever you're studying these deer and, and actually laying eyes on them and glassing them. That tells you, you know, what type of things you need to get ready for whenever season comes around. Absolutely. Well, you know, I don't want to spend too much time on the early September hunting cause that's kind of already passed, but you're getting ready for a hunt right now for this first week of October. What are you doing for this specific hunt? uh getting ready yeah. for it um we are in illinois and indiana right now um kind of jumping back and forth from both which open october 1st and um as y'all probably know illinois gets just absolutely pounded with pressure and so uh, i came here last year end of october and found like 12 or 15 guys hunting one buck and I'm like, this is, this is pressure like I've never seen before. So what we've been doing these last few days is um, kind of trying to figure out what, what's going on here. You know, we walked the beanfield edge and walked some white oak flats uh, yesterday, uh, found some scrapes along the beans and uh, found acorns falling. And then in the evening, we actually just spent driving around, thought about getting in a scouting stand where we could see a lot, but. Uh, the area I was in, you could see a lot from the road. And so just found some high points that I could get up on the top of the truck glass. We found some bucks in dry beans, some bucks in, in green beans, and then some bucks were headed towards the oaks. And so um, I've kind of got a mix of, of stuff that I'm, I've got going right now. So what I'm really focusing on is, is being prepared for high pressure. I've already found these bucks over the summer. I've already like know that they're in this area, um, which is a main factor that I look for. And just knowing that there's good quality deer in that area. And I've been doing a lot of map studies as far as where do I think most people would go? Where do I think a guy would think that a big buck will be or where will a guy go that's going to bump this big buck that I already know and I'm going to set up you know if I if I can't get on top of that big buck first I'm going to set up where this buck's going to go whenever he gets pressured and so um, that's kind of my that's how I've killed most of my public land bucks is actually off of people pressure you know is just 
Um, if I was this big buck and I'm in this patch and I'm in this bedding and feeding area and people are going to push me out, where am I going to go? And uh, sometimes you'll even see that over the summer. You'll see like uh, dove hunters go into into bedding areas and push deer out and you can watch where that deer goes into his secondary bedding or you know recreational hikers and sometimes these deer will just circle around and bed right back down where they were because they're used to a lot of people so uh just i've been just driving around glassing um we'll probably hang some sets look at some sign try to locate these bucks again see if we can see them a few days before season and then just get a game plan together as far as where we need to set up when this high pressure of people hits and uh, try and catch them getting pushed out of their area. Now, Hunter, one thing that you've mentioned just now was a lot of these bucks that you've killed, you've kind of killed them based off the hunting pressure in the general area and kind of being where those bucks want to go once that pressure gets up. You mentioned early on um, in this episode about the Missouri buck you just killed, uh, which is a really nice deer. You were 150 yards from parking area. You had a few different guys come in, you know, the night you actually killed that deer. Can we talk about a little bit about that hunt specifically and how that positioning, you know, set up for, even though there's a lot of guys in the area hunting and you actually had people walk past you to go hunt that afternoon. Um, can you talk a little bit about what was the reasoning for setting up in that spot based off what you learned from those deer in those areas and why were you in the right position where a lot of guys were walking past that specifically? Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the main reason there's so much pressure right under my stand, we, we literally had four different guys walk under our stand and wave at us as they went by. Um, and like <laughs> we're at in a pretty small strip of trees, like there's only kind of one or two spots to hang a stand. There's not really room for that many people in there and there's just one parking lot. So we're always the first one in the parking lot and stuff, but doesn't mean that people aren't going to hunt on top of you, which was fine. We, we worked around it and stuff, but that can be frustrating sometimes. And man, honestly, there's that many people there because there's a lot of big bucks in there this year, um, in that specific spot. And they're very visible over the summer and it's a very popular hunting spot. And so these bucks, you know, they, they were seen a lot. Word got around that there's big bucks in that area and stuff. So we had locals and out of state people hunting right there on top of us. And so, you know, they might have a, they might get an opportunity at one of these bucks we're hunting too. You know, it's at, which is great. I'm happy for anybody that tags out on public on, on a giant. I mean, it's, it's a hard thing to do, but, uh, we had these people walking under us and, and, you know, the number one factor that I try to focus on and is hard for people to understand on, on public land is, you know, deer don't do what deer usually do. Like, um, I know certain properties where deer don't go under trees like deer don't use funnels um and it's because the pressure's in the trees and the people are in the trees and the funnels and and these deer adjust what deer usually do to what the people are doing and so um these people kept going into these trees kept going into these trees kept going into these trees and hanging sets and walking through it and stuff and it just pushed these big bucks just outside of it um and we happened to get in one lone tree and we we're 40 foot in the air 
Um, and the reason for that was so we could see down into this tall corn and CRP and beans that were below us. And it was really going to be a scouting set to where we could try and watch these bucks outside of all the hunting pressure that night. And we just so happened to have one that was bedded within 150 yards and came right under us. So it really wasn't the plan to kill or the move to kill that night, but it, it worked out to where it was because these deer got pushed out in there. So people, people tend to focus on what deer should be doing. You know, a deer should be bedded in thick brush coming out into soybeans um, like deer do over the summer. You know, you should be able to hang a set on a field edge and, and get a shot at a good deer. And that, that is what a perfect private land spot with no pressure and the deer doing what whitetail should be doing would do um but where we are they're just they're just focused on getting away from people whether that means bedding in a swamp staying in places that people won't go even laying out in the beans and just staying out there away from trees because there's people that's busting them in the trees and stuff um these deer just adjust to people you know some of the biggest bucks in the country live inside city limits and they don't get hunted you know i mean look at look at seek one and stuff and the stuff they're doing in atlanta i mean that's what big bucks truly do is they go in places that aren't aren't really fit for whitetail or aren't the best fit for for a big buck to stay in but as long as he's not getting hunted that's all he cares about you know and so uh these guys will go in deep and far and do what whitetail are supposed to do and really they're just pushing deer out of there and you know i'm just adjusting to whatever the deer is going to do so that was a pretty cool situation 150 yards from the parking lot 40 foot in the air um happened to have one walk under us as people are walking under us i mean it's just these deer are adjusting to what the people and pressure are doing so i spend just as much time driving around or sitting in a high tree studying people and studying what they're doing as much as I do the deer um, because all the deer are doing is adjusting off of what they're doing. What To what extent are you uh, studying people as far as driving around? Like, are you just looking for trucks and parking spots or are you even, you know, looking at like uh, empty parking lots to see if there's like tracks going in or looking for trash or flagging tape? Yeah, how do you get a general idea of of the hunting pressure in your area and and then making a play off of that? Yeah, mainly just mainly just vehicles driving around and parked and stuff and um you know, sometimes you can cruise around and and watch where people are walking in. I I don't want to like be a creep or anything and be like watching these guys hanging in an exact tree and I understand that they're trying to, you know, um keep all their stuff a secret and, and work off their hard work and stuff. So I don't want to intrude on that. I just want to understand where people are going and, and how the deer are going to adjust off that. So I, I don't really, I don't really look at tracks or anything from people other than, uh, I'll look for an area that might look good for a tree stand. And, you know, if there's a tree stand there, I'm like, okay, there, there might be a person here or it might be an old tree stand or it might be a dummy stand. Like, um, you know, you find these guys that are good at public land too. Right. Um, and, and these last few years, there's, there's three other guys that I've met in my area. They're named Austin Culverson, Jace Allen, Charles Golson. And we have actually have a group chat now. 
And the three of us have met each other from hunting on public land and, and realizing that we're on either the same deer or are understanding like this property really well. And uh, so we actually work together and make sure that we're not hunting on top of each other. Cause like if Jace is in an area hunting a big buck, I don't want to be in that area because I know he's going to be in the best spot and he's going to be in the best position. And he's probably going to get that deer killed at some point. And I don't want to have to be competing with that because I know he's doing everything that I would do. And we would just be hunting on top of each other. So we have very similar tactics and stuff. And, and so just, and that's all just come from hunting public land and, and learning what guys are doing, what you're doing. So you see, you see the guys that are kind of amateurs at it and, you know, doing a standard set and, uh, sometimes those guys have success and then and then you see the guys that are are really doing every factor as far as um studying people and studying deer uh mobile hunting getting into places that most people wouldn't go um you kind of catch on to what guys are doing that and, and really work around them you know and i'm glad you brought jace because he just killed an absolute giant in kentucky I mean, you killed a freaking big deer in kentucky as well early yeah uh which i, I at one point i i mean i wanted to kind of get into that a little bit because at least when you got there i i don't know if jace was there opening day or just before opening day. actually i guess actually i guess if i could talk he actually was because i think his comment he made was you know he'd been there for 20 plus days by the time he killed that deer yeah um but if I remember correctly, did you kill your deer oak the first night you got there, the first sit? Yeah. So I'm, well, I'm curious. I, I just I want to kind of learn a little bit about because if I remember correctly, that wasn't like opening day. I think it was like a week or so after season had opened when you got there. Correct. Yeah, it was. So what did that kind of play out? Because you killed an absolute stud of a buck, dude. Uh, and the story alone, just the recovery, sounded crazy. You know, it being in the water and all that kind of stuff. For sure. Um, what were some of your takeaways from that that hunt? I mean, have you hunted Kentucky before? What like what's your experience there been like? And you know, how did you and Jace kind of play off each other when it came to like that hunt and you know that state? Yeah, uh, Jace and I are actually roommates now, um, and we spend all our time together just e scouting and and uh, glassing and watching and kind of teaming up on on different states, different um, areas, different bucks. Uh, he was obviously hunting a very specific buck there that he ended up killing, um, which is an absolute hammer. And so that, that was kind of his reason for spending that much time there. And, and, uh, it was a high pressure area. We had Jace's buck has a, a broadhead mark through its G2 where a guy shot at it, um, and missed it. Well, kind of missed it. And so, uh, like these deer were being hunted pretty hard and, I got there a week after season opened up and Jace kind of gave me the rundown of what was going on in the property. And I was like, well, you know, you're hunting, you're hunting this area and these bucks, you know, I, I just want to stay away from you. I don't want to affect your hunt and I want to help your hunt if anything, you know? And he was like, okay, well, this is some of the other information that I've seen and, and kind of like, uh, what the bucks are doing in this area. And so I just took what he told me and replicated it to a separate area from where he was hunting, um, was able to find a buck and set up on top of his bed. And then he got up and moved. Uh, we were like 120 yards from his bed. When he got up and moved, we were able to get down, move closer, and we hung our stand like 80 yards from where he was bedded. 
and when he got up and walked 20 yards closer, we shot him at 62 yards. And so that was crazy because we, we tagged out within 23 hours of being there, being there. And, uh, but it was just, it was just able to go off of the pattern that Jace told me was going on there. And, you know, if you find a good pattern on big bucks and just replicate all the factors of that pattern and you have to, you have to do every factor, you know, if you, if you forget one, you may not be finding them, but if you can replicate that in a different spot, but the same kind of area, those big bucks are, those big bucks are doing what it takes to stay alive. And usually it's the same factor. Um, on on what that takes to stay alive in a high pressure area and, and i want to bring that up you know um when it comes to like the pattern is it something that you've learned and maybe you and jace have learned that like if a, a couple mature bucks on a property are doing a specific pattern you can almost almost guarantee that there's gonna be more bucks doing a similar pattern on that property based off pressure oh 100 percent. yeah yeah it'll, it'll blow your mind like once you find an area that has big bucks on it you know, you may spend weeks trying to find a pattern. You may spend months over the summer trying to figure out, um, you know, where a big buck is. And then you see a big buck and you get to study him for one evening. And if you just take notes of everything that he's doing, and then I like to get on, on my iPad to where I can see bigger. And, and I use like five different e-scouting apps that show me um you know the property different times a year uh, like google earth is really good about close in details i can see deer trails i can see down timber i can see all those things um so i use like onyx spartan forge base map hunt stand uh google earth um all these different apps and i i study the map on each and every app and take a look at at what this deer was doing um in fine detail and then i can zoom out on the map and pick out other areas of the property that have that well say i've i've picked like 10 more spots that replicate that a lot of times like seven or eight out of ten of those spots will have another mature buck doing exactly what that fits so it's it's crazy like like that's why i focus on studying these bucks so much because you can just replicate what they're doing and find more and more and more big bucks and that it, that's so much fun over the summer. If you can find one buck, replicate it, and then you can go find 15 bucks that you didn't know were there in your last couple weeks of scouting. I mean, it's just, it'll blow your mind how many big bucks there are in the area and you just can't find them because they're trying not to be found, you know? That's super interesting. And I, I'd like to maybe talk a little bit more about like capitalizing on a pattern like that. What does it look like? Can, is there maybe from like a year past something, I mean, we don't even have to talk about like what you and Jason or what Jason had found in Kentucky specifically on that pattern. Even though I have a lot of listeners that are probably like, no, tell us exactly what that was. <laughs> but I, I got to leave something like, you know, you got to leave some stuff out. Yeah. Um, and I probably get messages about that. Like, oh, you should have asked about this. Um, <laughs> but can you give us an example, like another example other than that um, Kentucky hunt of what, like what is a pattern that you found or, or just an example of a pattern that then you were able to replicate and find other bucks based off that said pattern? Something in Kansas that I studied was, you know, you've got rut funnels, you've got creek lines and you've got limited trees. Um, the white tails stay in the creek bottoms. Uh, they like to be under the trees. They actually put it like if you're in a part of Kansas has mule deer, they'll actually push some mule deer out of the creek bottoms. 
um, and kind of dominate that area. Well, um, you only have so many walk-in hunting areas and a lot of them are small and a lot of them are easy access. And the ones that are big and hard access kind of get pounded too, because people are like, oh, well, I can get in deep away from people when really you're just doing the same thing every other decent hunter is that knows to get away from people on public land. So I like to look at properties that other people would think are junk, you know, so um, a CRP strip ditch that has zero trees in it. Um and and zero opportunity to to kill one out of a tree stand you know um and maybe it's got a creek bottom within half a mile or something but people are hunting those trees in the creek bottom and these deer get pushed out of the trees in the creek bottom and they're still in the same area but here's a crp ditch um that's running through a bean field that you know is actually there for walk-in bird hunting right like pheasant hunters and quail hunters go in there and hunt that later in the year. Um, that would be somewhere you're going to find a big buck. Like people aren't going to think of, of a whitetail being in there because whitetail shouldn't be in there when they're not pressured. But when they get pushed out of where they want to be and they get pushed into spots that people say that ain't worth hunting, that's where the big bucks are going to be. So like that's a pattern that I would look for in, in that area. And if I found a big buck in that, I'm going to get on my e-scouting and I'm going to start marking all the spots like that, that I can find. And I'm going to go check all those spots and see how many big bucks I can find. I mean, I don't, I never stop at just one big buck. I, I, if I find one, I study them. Um, I keep tabs on them, but I roll on and I try to replicate that. I try to find another one and another one and another one. And so like whenever I'm out of state, especially at the, if I go on a scouting trip for two or three days, the more big bucks I can find or the more mature bucks that I can find doing a pattern, the more like successful I'm going to be when I go out there. If I go back for one and some other guys found them, some other guys hunting them, has them pushed out of them or even already killed them. I've had that happen before too. You know, I can roll on to the next buck that I've got found to replicate that pattern that I've, I've got found for that. So I mean, it's just, it's really just about doing what other people aren't doing. And it's not even always what people aren't willing to do. It's just what they don't know to do. Um, so, you know, people think, well, I'm going to go in deep because nobody else is willing to go in deep. If you've ever hunted Colorado, you know, that's not true. <laughs> and so like, if you go in deep, that's great and all. Um, that's just a starting point of, of effort, you know, like putting in more effort than most people would that's a great starting point but it's not a guarantee to finding big deer houndstooth game calls is your home for turkey calls this spring go check them out they got all the classic turkey calls you know they got the pot calls and the box calls and the mouth calls but they also got a couple really interesting calls one of them is called the the success call and you just need to go look it up it's very it's like a box call that you can work with one hand it's really really cool sounds incredible they also got the spur master which is another very unique call that you can get some really unique clean tones out of they're going to help you out this turkey season use the promo code sop 24 to get 15% off of your order at Houndstooth Game Calls. That's SOP24. Use it at checkout. It helps the podcast. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, 
Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. True Lock Chokes has been made in Georgia since 1981 and offering a wide range of chokes, over 2,000 different chokes for all kinds of shooting activities. You might be wondering why you'd want to purchase a True Lock Choke, and it's to improve your shotgun performance. Absolutely guaranteed. And as a great example, we have Andrew Maxwell here. And uh, Andrew, you've had some pretty good luck, again, kind of switching out chokes and trying out the Precision Hunter choke from True Lock. So, Andrew, what's been your experience so far? Yeah, I've, always, I've used the same choke for several years now. I never really thought much of it, and I got the True Lock choke in. I patterned my gun with the first choke at... Uh, 30 and 50 and then I switched to the true lock and changed from 30 to 50 and the 50 yard pattern on my gun with the true lock choke is unbelievable like everybody's jaws were dropping like when we were out there with Mike and Sam we were all super impressed I mean it's throwing a better pattern at 50 now than it was throwing at 40 before my old choke and Andrew you're shooting the precision hunter choke from true lock it's a great option. Same chokes I have in my shotgun. So, guys, if you want to give True Lock a shot this spring, you can head over to truelockchokes.com. That's T R U L O C K chokes.com. You can also use the promo code SOUTHERN at checkout at truelockchokes.com and save 10% on your order. Again, give True Lock a shot this spring, especially if you're not happy with the performance of your shotgun, and shoot with a more deadly pattern with True Lock. Hunter, one thing that you're talking about here that we get from a lot of guests who are very successful every season, especially on multiple bucks, is like you're building that inventory and you're going to have options when season gets here. And so you can kind of roll through, and if your plan A, B, C gets messed up, then you got plan D, and you can just roll on to that one. When you're going and you're kind of building your inventory and you're trying to find all these different deer, are you – are you trying to focus on finding them in areas that are very huntable uh, where you feel like you can, even if it's, you know, not like a CRP field or if it's only a CRP field and there's no trees there, you're like, Oh, I'll just have a ground set up. Um, but are you seeking things out in areas where you feel like you can build some kind of advantage um, as far as huntability, or are you just trying to find them just wherever you can find them and then figure it out later? I'm a strong believer of everybody has their strengths, you know, um, one one thing that Jace has a really strong strength for is uh, reading sign. Um, I'll go out and scout with him, and it just impresses me time and time again how accurately he can read like tracks or like uh, scrapes and rubs, um, find a track in it, or or find a pattern just based off of what he sees on the ground. You know that that's something that he uses as an advantage for him, and so he can go into like some thick autumn olive or thick briars and brush and or or whatever and uh he's like okay there's a mature buck living in here this is his bed this is his track i know i can like start patterning this area that's not a strength that i have i'm not i'm not that good at reading sign and so one strength that i do have is i'm able to shoot a long ways and i can spot and stock good so um as far as like huntability spots i actually look for areas that probably outside of most people's realm of hunting so um areas that are hard to get on the bucks produce a lot of big bucks because people can't get them killed and so um 
you know, if I have to hunt an area where I need to get out of my tree and spot and stalk, or if I need to hunt an area that is really tall, thick stuff, those areas are where I prevail and I have comfort because I know that other people that are getting in there, they might be finding those big bucks, but they're not getting them killed. And those bucks know that and they just work around those people. And, um, it, it's probably going to give me an opportunity that most people can't take an advantage of. So that's kind of my strength is, you know, spot and stock and long distance shooting, um, is something that I'm comfortable doing. And so that's the areas that I look for the, the less huntable areas. Um, and I also don't mind going waist deep or, or hip deep into, you know, water or swamps or, or getting a kayak or boat out and, and boating in or walking six miles in. I mean, I, any of the difficult spots is fine with me as well. I, I don't mind putting in the effort, but those areas that are not as huntable is, is what I'm looking for just, just based off of my strengths. Yeah, that's a big subject, man, with a lot of people a lot of our listeners, especially ones that I've talked to, it, when you're hunting public, you know, these deer might be getting kicked out all over the place. And so they're kind of in weird spots and you might find a buck, but he's in a spot and you're looking at the map and you're like, dude, I just don't know how in the world I'm even going to get in there to to get after him. Or I don't know how I could set up on this and, and be clean. But again, yeah. like you're, you're just like, well, I'll find a way, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll go wade through the water and I'll go spot and stalk if I have to. So it's really just more just let's find the bucks kind of where, where they're at and figure out the rest later. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) if you've got a big buck on public, that's a mature deer that's lived there for years, it's probably not going to be getting in there clean. I mean, you're going to be, you're going to be getting in some dirty sets every time as far as like, he's probably not going to bed in a killable spot with the right wind. Um, so like you might have to go in with a crosswind that to where your, your wind is, is not in your face it's actually quartering to both of you um you know you might have to risk sneaking into his bedding area and take your boots off and walk in your socks and and take your time and walk with the wind and and get right up on him because he's in thick stuff that you can't see through i mean those if, if you've got big bucks on public land it's probably not going to be like a clean set you're you're not going to be able to wait until you know a week from now the wind is perfect you're gonna have to figure out how to access from the other side and make your wind perfect um so kind of kind of once you have one found in the area you just have to figure out how to make it happen um you have to figure out um whether you need to ground assault or or get up in a tree really high or uh all those factors that you can adjust yourself for you need to do in order to get that buck killed because if you have a different wind, he's probably not going to be bedded in the same spot. He probably knows, knows better than that, you know? Yeah. Kind of on this subject real quick. Uh, we'll, we'll, me and Jacob will talk about this on the outro a little bit, kind of some of the plans for Georgia and, and how we think we're going to hunt that. But one thing I'm always curious about, especially this time of year, the, the name of the game is getting close to him and bedding. And you've, you've touched on that a bunch of times in this conversation already where we're talking about, Hey, we got to get really close to the bedding, figure out where he's bedded and, you know, push the limit, take your boots off and walk in there, like whatever you got to do when it comes to setting up close to bedding like that, what is it that you're looking for? That's going to make you get in a tree where you're like, okay, this is, this is where when he stands up and walks over here, I'm going to, I'm going to get a shot. 
Um, is there any kind of specific feature or sign or anything like that that you're focusing on that that's going to make you climb a tree and feel like you can kill that deer right there? Yeah, there's a there's a lot of factors. Um, I first of all, I I hate getting in bedding areas. I mean, it's so invasive and it's so risky and it's it's a risk reward thing. Um, and it is like you said, a hundred percent necessary for this time of year to have success sometimes because like these bucks shed their velvet and sometimes they're only getting up 10 minutes of daylight. I mean, they're, they're not, uh, we've set up on some mature bucks this year, even on top of their bed. I know he's right there. I watched him go in there and like they never stand up in the daylight and you just have to get out of there without busting them. And then your scent is in there. We try to be as scentless as possible, but like, your scent gets in there, your wind switches or like whatever. I mean, it's extremely invasive to get in on top of them, but, um, if that's what it takes, that's what it takes. And so, um, my, the biggest thing before I go into a set is I like to scout my way in. And so I like to, you know, watch this buck from as far away as I can get him and s still see him, um, whether that's, 200 yards away or a thousand yards away, um, get up high or get in, you know, a different spot to where I can look into that. Um, or maybe even like set up on his food source and, and make sure he's not coming out there. If it's some, some thick stuff, whatever that factor is to where I can know for sure, without a doubt, that's where he's bedding and I've got it confined to a small area. And then I e-scout it and, and pick my path in. A lot of times I try to pick a tree from e-scouting. Um, and then I try to get in there real easy and, and very precisely as far as like where I'm walking, um, where I'm putting my scent, where I'm hanging my set and try to get up on top of them um, in a tree. And then once I'm in a tree, you know, I, I, I run a combo set. So I, I run a tree stand. Um, a lone wolf 0.5. It's a real small mobile tree stand that the sticks integrate into. And then I run a trophy line saddle, um, comboed with that. And so what that allows me to do is I can stand up and shoot one way like you would out of a tree stand, or I can sit back in my saddle and shoot the opposite way. Um, and that's my comfort zone. And then like a lot of these public lands we're on, you can't trim branches. You can't, um, you know, trim shooting lanes and stuff. And so I can tether way out from away from the tree, rotate around the tree, kneel down, stand up, um, you know, stand on my seat. And, and all those things are huge for trying to get a shot at one of these bucks. Cause I've had so many people and so many buddies just have a perfect opportunity at a deer and just have a branch in the way or, um, they can't shoot their offside or whatever. And so being able to combo that stand and that saddle together for shootability, um, is huge for me. And, and on top of that, getting in trees that usually wouldn't get in with anything else with a climber or, you know, a conventional stand and, and being able to climb really small trees or, or, you know, really weird shaped trees, um, if it's the perfect tree and it's the tree I need to get into to kill this buck and it's the only tree, that's the one that I need to be able to get into with, with any situation. So 
my mobile setup is based around that. Um, and you know, if it's got limbs everywhere and it's not an ideal tree and I can't trim limbs, I need to be able to lean out and shoot around them and all that stuff. So that's, that's kind of something I adjust myself to the situation for as far as if I need to get in that tree, then, then I'm going to get in that tree. Now I want to talk a little bit more about kind of getting into October here. Um, Hunter, I, I want to talk a little bit about as the pressure kind of continues to rise. Okay. And maybe these deer potentially in some of these areas get slightly less visible. Like maybe you saw them three weeks ago, but now they're just not showing up in more open areas. How are you trying to transition to kind of push your way back into that cover? Uh, you mentioned kind of scouting your way back to a particular spot and kind of reading some of that sign. Um, but you also said that, you know, some of your strengths are, you know, of course, as an archer and competitive archer, being able to shoot at much farther distances uh, comfortably and successfully compared to like maybe the average guy, but also, you know, being willing to spot and stalk if need be, if the habitat arises for it. What does that look like, especially as we start getting into the first couple of weeks of October into the middle of October and later October? How does that kind of shift for you in order to kind of fine tune as these bucks are moving around based off and changing their pattern based off hunting pressure, based off oaks dropping, based off the changing the seasons and leaves starting to fall? What does that look like for you to kind of adjust and kind of move your way maybe more into the interior of where these bucks are wanting to spend more and more of their time? Yeah, for sure. Um, so it really takes me out of like the high percentage game. Right. Because like, I, I like to, I like to study them over the summer and still kill and kill them while they're still in their summer pattern, but that's not an option anymore in October. And so, uh, I, what I look for is, is the consistent factors. So, um, you know, if my dad is, is one of the best there is at killing in early October and just his, his ability to kill a, a mature buck in the time that they're changing the most is, is insane. So I really have taken away from him as far as like, uh, you know, finding, finding wide oaks, um, that are dropping is going to be your, your highest percentage, um, factor. And so that's what I'm looking for this time of year going into an October hunt is high percentage factors. And like, it's not going to be a hundred percent anymore, 90% like it was but I'm just going to try and combine those high percentage factors. So like something I learned from him is white oaks that are dropping, um, up against like for Southwest Missouri, where we hunt up against like cedar thickets or like, um, you know, somewhere that's really thick that they like to bed in, in the woods, you know, so, uh, briar patches, um, you know, stuff like that, that we, you know, don't, aren't able to, get in with a stand, you know, and, and stuff that they like to bed in. So that's a consistent factor. Something I've learned from Levi Morgan is like, uh, you can tell which trees that they eat under. Mm -hmm. So like he grew up in Ohio and stuff, um, where mm -hmm. there's just oaks everywhere. There's, there's a lot of stuff to feed off of, um, and being able to tell the difference between an acorn that's been eaten by a squirrel and one that's been eaten by a deer. And so a squirrel will like nibble an acorn away whereas the deer will have it cracked perfectly in half and you'll find the hole on each side and the acorn gone. And so, uh, you know, if you've got just a thousand acres of white oaks, you gotta, you gotta narrow it down somehow. And so finding, you know, those specific trees that they like to feed under is, is huge for oaks. And so those can, 
those consistent factors. Um, I also look for like big scrapes this time of year. A lot of dominant bucks will, um, you know, have big scrapes that they're visiting every 24 hours. Um, and it's a little early for that still, but, but if you can find a scrape line that's been hit and freshened up a lot lately, um, if you're able to run cameras in that state, we can't in Missouri, but you can in other states, like throw a camera up on that scrape, figure out what that caliber of buck is. If it's a mature buck and he's controlling that area, you know, maybe he's switching his pattern up, but you, you know, like if you can locate his area that he's dominating and has all the other bucks pushed out of, cause it's that time of year where they're splitting up dominant bucks are kind of claiming their area and, uh, if you can find scrapes, you can find what food source he prefers. That's another buck personality thing. I know some that love corn. I know some that stay on beans and then switch to acorns. I know some that, you know, prefer alfalfa. Um, so his preferred food source, um, if you can find his track, replicate his track in a food source, that's great. So just any sort of consistent factors um, that up your percentages on every factor that you find um until you can lay eyes on them if you can lay eyes on them that's that's going to be the best way and see where he goes and where he's coming from but until then i mean that that's what i look for is just consistent factors on on a specific buck or a specific group of bucks um and what things are going to like up my percentages of success on that hunt so scout 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 hunt um, I spend 80% of my time scouting until I really feel like I have a high percentage chance to kill. And then I hang my set. Um, and again, with the mobile setup, if he's staying in some thick stuff or if he's, you know, if he is staying like away from field edges and stuff, being able to take that mobile setup, get into a spot quietly, get set up on top of them. Um, just another factor that's going to up your success rate. I have a question on when it comes to scouting so much in season, especially again, kind of going back to this time of year, how invasive are you willing to be in your scouting? I mean, obviously you're not going to go jump in the bedding area unless you're going to actually be hunting that day, but do you do anything besides glassing when it comes to actually getting in there and scouting? Like, are you going to go walk those destination food sources or, or potentially even travel corridors and just get a peek at them and then maybe dive in the next day for a hunt? Yeah, sometimes I will. We, I mean, we did that yesterday and kind of tried to, we, we followed an area in that I knew there was a good trail along the edge of this beans and it turned into these white oaks right on the field edge. And so we, we just stuck to the edge of that timber. Um, we found like three or four scrapes in a row along that field edge. We saw some pretty decent tracks. I was able to glass that bean field later that night. Um, right at dark, we came back there, got on top of the truck, glassed it, found the two bucks that were making those scrapes, figured out where they were bedding, where they went into. I mean, there's a, there's a solid, you know, we, we spent 15 minutes on the ground and then 15 minutes glassing and we're able to find those deer and, and figure out where they were going. They weren't shooter bucks. They weren't, they were probably four year olds. They weren't super old, but, um, nonetheless, we were figuring out a pattern to at least work off of to find, to find some better quality bucks and stuff. So, um, I, I really don't like being invasive. I don't like getting in bedding areas and studying stuff. I try to, 
I try to e-scout and, and I, I always go back to the map. I always go back to, to my screen and, and try to figure out at least off there, what areas look good for bedding, um, what areas they might be feeding on, try to get a game plan just off the map as if I was there. I mean, it's a bird's eye view, so you can, you can really see more than you think with that and, and try to get a, even a game plan for that as where I'm going to walk, where I'm going to look for a sign and where I might hang a camera. And so I just, I just do my, do my scouting from my app. Um, and then if I need to lay eyes on the ground, I get in there and lay eyes where I, where I picked out to lay eyes with my e-scouting. So I always go back to that. That's just my, my most consistent factor to be less invasive. Um, it's the biggest tool is like if it's kind of an open area or really not crazy thick brush and, and, you know, I can even, I start by drawing the roads around that area. I drive every road. I turn my tracker on. I mark like everywhere I can see from the road, everywhere I can't see from the road, and then try to pick out a spot that I can see all the places I can't see from the road. Um, whether that's like a scouting stand or a route that I walk in and walk back out. Um, and so that's how I try to stay less invasive. If I need to get into a spot, I will, um, especially like a travel corridor. I would rather go into a travel corridor than a bedding area um, and, you know, try not to be too invasive. But at the same time, if I need to see the sign in there and I know that there's a good buck in there, um, you know, you can even scout your way in and hang a set and hunt. But usually I try to try to have a game plan for a kill before I hang and hunt. So, uh, kind of getting to a point of wrapping it up here when you have a buck that you're hunting and let's say you, you make the dive in there and you're going in there to kill him. And let's just say it doesn't work out. Uh, how long are you going to keep being a, a, like aggressive on that deer before you bounce to the next one? I try to get such a, a high percentage deal on, on going in for a set. If I sit, if I sit even once or twice in one tree and I don't either see him or get him killed, I'm pulling out. Um, and what I mean by pulling out is I'm not hunting right there. I'm, I'm going to back up and reach out my way in. Um, so like these bucks will change their pattern off of pressure and, and time of year and stuff. And so, if I don't get him killed or if I don't see him at least in two hunts, I'm going to back up, get to a scouting tree. I'm going to back up, um, stay on the road in glass or, or do something, um, besides being in there on top of them. So I, that's just how specific my plans get and my, my game plan of, of killing gets whenever, whenever we study a deer for a long time and, and we go in to kill him and, and I don't, at least see him. I'm going to, I'm going to try and lay eyes on him one way or another. Sometimes that will be like back up and scout, lay eyes on him in a situation for a spot and stock or like in Kentucky, a situation to where we can get down and move closer to him, um, and set up on top of him. So I'm just big on, on getting eyes on a big buck before anything. As a point of wrapping up here, this is one of my last questions. Uh, what's going to get you excited uh, taking like an observation of like a big buck out of the equation, talking Illinois and Indiana right now, you know, that's where you're going to be hunting probably the next couple weeks. Um, or unless you tag out extremely soon, which hopefully you do, 
what's going to get you excited out there? Say, say, say you want you locate a couple different bucks. What's going to get you excited about a specific set based off what you're finding so far and how you're going to be able to adjust with that pressure? Either laying eyes on a big buck. I mean, we saw an absolute hammer last night that got me pretty excited. So that's always that's always like the main thing that gets me pumped up is is just laying eyes on one. Um, and another thing that gets me excited is is figuring out a specific pattern. So if I can see two different bucks doing the same thing, um, say that's coming out of CRP into beans and, you know, sticking to, to like strips of trees. Uh, if I can find like a pattern like that, um, that I know I can replicate or, or even that there's not a lot of options, I, I kind of get stressed when I find a pattern that's very repeatable across thousands of acres that stresses me out whenever um, I'm like, okay, this is what the big buck's doing, but he could do that anywhere out here. Um, that, that gets hard to, hard to do. And so if I can find a pattern that's replicable and there's only so many of those areas that fit that description, um, where I'm hunting, I know that I can, you know, evenly divide my time between those, like say four or five spots and I can, watch this one and then watch this one and then watch this one and i can start finding bucks that way that gets me pretty excited yeah i'm going to say this uh as well hunter you the way your your outlook on it it seems like less is more as in you're 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 wait to like you have the right situation to go in there based off the observation based off everything else you're not just going to go in blind just to hunt blind and just get in the tree stand like a lot of guys do early in the season i'm just going to get in the tree stand because right. you know, the season's here um so you're h- hunting very high odds opportunities and spots which is very similar to another episode that's going to come out a little bit later this month mm-hmm. with another guest who does the same thing but he does it in late season uh in some of your states including your home state and a state adjacent to it um and he kills a lot of absolute giants on public land doing exactly what you're doing. He he may only sit every year eight, ten times, but when he does, he's going to kill an absolute giant when he does it. Um, and, and scouting, you know, in between all that time frame and, and keying in on that pressure, as that pressure, you know, laxes later in the season, the bucks get a little more predictable. So that's going to be super interesting seeing your perspective on the early season compared to another gentleman we've got coming out that's going to be doing the same thing on the late season aspect and the similarities between you guys. Uh, so that's going to be super, super interesting. Um, Hunter, as a point of kind of wrapping up here, do you have any kind of final thoughts or discussions on, based off, you know, what we've talked about so far? Is there anything that we're really, you know, leaving out that, you know, is worth discussing or any other kind of final, you know, points that you would want to get across? Well, just building on what you just said, I mean, I, if I don't have a big buck found and I don't have a big buck pattern, I'm not hunting. I mean, I'm scouting. Um, and that's just the bottom line of what I do. Um, however, there's a lot of effective ways to scout for different properties, different states and stuff. But um, unless I have one found and I have a pattern of, as recent information, I'm not even hanging a killing set. I may, I may hang a scouting set or I may you know, glass or whatever, but, um, that's been kind of the key to my success. And honestly, a lot of the guys that are, I surround myself with, um, like Austin and Jace and Charles, those guys are doing the same thing, having a lot of success with it and just trying to keep up with what's going on on the bucks, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And Hunter, if anybody wanted to reach out to you or follow along with you on social media, how can guys follow you both on Facebook and also Instagram? Facebook, it's uh, Hunter Hogan. And then uh, Instagram, it's Hogan. Um, so, yeah, look me up. Give me a follow. If you have questions, I'm always open to messages and, and questions and stuff. So 
you say that, and you might get blown up here after this episode with a lot of questions, especially about some of these specific patterns that we kind of left out. But I want to leave some meat on the bone for maybe a future yes. uh, discussion um, as well. So awesome. Well, Hunter, we greatly appreciate you coming on the podcast. Listeners, if you've enjoyed this episode, go hit Hunter up on social media. Go give him a follow. And also, you know, you can harass him with any questions you want to ask him. He may answer. He may not answer. But, hey, you can always ask. <laughs> so, uh, But uh, awesome, Hunter. We appreciate you coming on, brother. Best of luck to you for the rest of your season. I know it's already been super hot for you as in getting a lot of deer get killed. But uh, October is just now rolling forward. And you got Illinois and Indiana on the, uh, on the agenda list. So, uh, again, we appreciate you coming on the podcast. And best of luck to you for the rest of the season. All right, guys, we're starting to get kind of close to summer here. And you know what my favorite part about summer is? The Mobile Hunters Expo. Y'all heard us talk about it a lot last year, and we actually got to meet a lot of you guys at that expo. Well, we're excited to announce we're going to be there again. This time it's going to be in Dalton, Georgia, June 28th through June 30th. We are going to be there all three days. We're going to have a bunch of past podcast guests there. We're going to have a booth where you can come by and grab some merchandise. And I'm sure we're going to be recording all kinds of podcasts there. If you're unfamiliar, the Mobile Hunters Expo is the place you need to be if you are the kind of hunter that listens to this podcast. This show was literally made for you. It is an excellent group of people that are going to be there. A lot of whitetail killers from around the southeast are going to be there. You're going to get to talk to them, shake their hand, learn from them in person, make some connections. And guys, we get a lot of questions about uh, which saddle should I get? Which tree stand should I get? What about this piece of gear? What about that piece of gear? How do I meet other hunters who want to hunt the same way that I do? You know, finding a good hunting buddy. The Mobile Hunters Expo is a place for all of that. So you guys don't miss it. June 28th through the 30th, Dalton, Georgia. We'll see you there.